0: a word that came through in the worship, and I just feel we want to just honor it, and just I feel God, before we launch into what we're preaching, just was a word that there's somebody here, or maybe a handful of people who are just feeling at the end of their rope. Somebody, there's a picture of just people who have just got to the edge of, of, their, of everything they've got in themselves, and they're standing on the precipice, and they're just saying, if nothing changes, I'm off, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Quite a sobering word, quite a strong word, but I just really feel that there's if there's one or two people here this morning... If you're feeling that in your heart, you say, I came this morning, I'm feeling hopeless. We're singing songs of hope and victory. The enemy has been defeated, but I'm living definitely not very far away from that reality. You don't have to even raise your hand. Let's just close our eyes. I want to pray for those people. If there's somebody here this, tonight, this morning. Father, I pray right now as we, we're dealing with, these aren't life and death matters. These are eternal life and death matters. So I thank you, Father, right now for you to come and strengthen hearts that are feeling weak. We thank you, Father God, this is not a moment where we try and help each other up or try and cheer each other on and and pretend nothing, everything's okay when everything is not okay. But I thank you, Father God, that you're a God that identifies with us in our weaknesses and you walk through us, walk through, you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. I thank you, Father God, for that promise that we will fear no evil because you are with us. I pray right now, God, would you rescue hearts that are, are faint, rescue hearts that are about to give away. We thank you for that. Amen. If that's you and you would love some prayer afterwards as well, please come and chat to me. We'd love to do that. Can you turn in your books, in your Bibles, in your books? If you've bought any other books, try and find this as well. It's called Ephesians. That's where we're going today. Mark and Candice are away. Mark started last week the series, But God. And we looked at grace and peace. And if you did not, if you weren't here and you missed that message, I would really encourage you to go download it from our website. What we're trying to do this series, we're trying to equip us as believers. We believe That we are not a people who just come and spectate, we're not just a people who come and listen to a good message, a rah-rah message and then go on with our lives. We believe that this is the good book. The Bible is the book that speaks, it's alive and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it wants to go deep into our hearts this morning. And we want to encourage you, my, my aim this morning, I pray in all these things, is to push you further and further and deeper into this book, that you'll have a hunger to go and read it yourself and study this great book called Ephesians. But before we launch into anywhere else, there's a, I'm feeling very pastoral these days. I don't know where I've been married or not, but I start telling very cheesy stories. So I thought I could whip out a cheesy, one that's been used many times before, stories. But I thought it was applicable for this morning. So forgive me if you know it. But there was this couple, and they were an elderly couple, and they... They were quite poor, but they had saved for years and years and years. And they were so excited because slowly their meager amounts of money were were just rewarding them with the possibility of a trip on a ship. This was their dream, to go on a tour on a ship. And they were so excited. They saved saved and scrimped and saved, kept checking the prices. No, we're not quite there. Eventually they saw that the money in their bank account was the same value for a ticket. For both of them on the ship. And they were so excited. It was, it was a third class ticket. But they were like, hey, nonetheless, this is exciting. And they looked at each other and said, this is going to be our trip. And they were so excited. They purchased this third class ticket. And they were like, yes, here we go. And uh, they, they got the tickets. They put it very carefully in an envelope and sealed it. They started packing their bags the night before and they, and they laid the clothes in, they, they, put, they had one suitcase between the two of them, packed it in, and they looked at each other and said, you know what, we, all our money is done. So we know, we just to remind ourselves, that we're not going to be lavish and go wild. We can't go wild on this trip. The trip alone is the reward. The trip alone is the reward for us. So, so they went and they were putting like two noodles in the corner of their bag, squashing it down, saying this will be for them. We don't want to be embarrassed, so let's go prepared. And tins of tuna and some dry cracker bread just in between the underwear and fits in there, and they're very chuffed, they're like, this is exciting, and they got, they launched out for this voyage, and they wave goodbye to their friends, feeling very proud of themselves, go on deck, and chat to everyone, and they made the procedure to make their way down to their cabin, where they unloaded their suitcase, and put all their little dried goods, the tins in the cupboard, amongst their clothes, they're very excited, and then the first day arrived, and they went on the deck, and they're enjoying the, the, the views, as they pushed out from harbour, they're so excited, and the the that, that night, they heard the dinner gong go for half an hour till dinner, and they thought, we don't get embarrassed by people saying, are you joining us for dinner or not? And So they were like, half an hour before, they all rushed down. This couple rushed down to their, their little cabin, and they opened up their dry cracker bed and put some tune on it and looked at each other quite pleased, saying, hey, no one's going to ever know that we're actually the third class guys, <laughs> but we'll, we can fool them and have a great time. And this went on night after night, as, they, as the dinner gong went, they ran downstairs and they ate some two-minute noodles and chicken flavor, you know, and they stirred it, and it was great. Breakfast of champions. And then they ate that, and then they were so excited, and the final night of this wonderful trip, they had a great time, they really did. But then the final night of the trip came, and the, the, the captain of the ship came up to me and said, hi sir, hi ma'am. I don't think I've met you on this trip, but what I've been doing every night is I've been inviting certain people on the ship to come, for, to come join me for dinner. So I'd love to extend that invitation, come for dinner with me tonight. And they were like very awkward, because they are like, oh, this is embarrassing, because we don't want to say yes, but then get there, and we can't afford to pay. We don't want to say no, and then he'll, he'll know, he'll wonder why, I want to know why you're not coming for dinner. And uh say, so I'm denied a bit, but he then pressed him and said, please come, I'd love you to join, have a lovely time. And they say, okay, we need to be honest with you, come clean, we, we actually, we don't have any money. We put all the money that went into the tickets, we don't have money for the food, the lavish food up there to share dinner with you, so if, if you be okay, please excuse us. And the captain shook his head and looked very distraught and said, didn't you read your ticket? All meals were included. All meals were included. Oh, such a sad story for this fictitious couple. All of us are going weeping. Mother's going, this poor couple. How can we get their number and help them? They're not real. But I want to tell you that I believe, and this is where I come in this morning with the book of Ephesians. I believe that the church, you and I as believers, we have got grasped onto the thing of salvation. We have, some of us have stumbled upon it. Some of us have, have seen it. A great light is dawned. Some of us are still approaching it nervously. But we have purchased this ticket and we're so excited about it. But we are pushing through and being meager and empty and, just, and not really knowing the full weight of what God has provided for us. We're battling through, through small things and just trying to make it through. Keep, make through. keep our head down. Don't rock the boat. Let's just get through this thing. And the church are not living in the fullness, the full power, the full riches that have been provided for them. And that's where the book of Ephesians comes in. A man named Paul, who was ship, who had shipwrecked, who was bitten by snakes, a man who had got the full understanding of the gospel, was thrown into a jail in Rome. And he writes a six-chapter letter, a letter to a people, a real people, in a real place called Ephesus, which was a port city just like Cape Town. So this was a people just like you and me. And he wrote to them, and this whole, the whole theme of Ephesians is filled, the whole tone is filled with worship, filled with hope, filled with power. And I want to introduce us to a little bit of that this morning, and take us on a small theological journey that will help us and equip us as we go deeper. I want to tell you that this book of Ephesians has been known, has been called by theologians as the Bank of Believers. This book is so rich and so full of God's greatness and full of His extravagance, lavish love poured out for us and the power that's available for us. has been called the Bank of the Believers or the Treasure House of the Bible. I want to tell you, if you're feeling poor, if you're feeling in lack in any sense, go read the book of Ephesians. Because there are promises in here, there are things in here that are so rich, so lavish. I want to tell you the word this book is filled with riches. That word riches is even in, the bio, in that book seven times appears. Then there's the word inheritance. There's the word fullness, which is said four times. And we are also told that we are filled with things in this book. It is a lavish book. And I pray this morning that God is going to be lavish with us as we humble ourselves by His word. He's going to be lavish with us and He's going to put deep truths in our heart. And we are never going to be the same. I want to tell you, if we, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter one now, but I really felt strongly last night as I was praying that I wanted to push back hard on a spirit of unbelief. Hard here in the room. Hard. Even as I start talking, people go, yeah, i heard this before. I want to tell you that, there, that every sin that you can think of, its origin comes from one place, a spirit of unbelief. Every sin that you will manifest, I'll tell you, I believe, we strongly believe that what you believe leads to how you behave. The world says it the other way. Behave this way. believe behave. Now the world don't say believe unless they really had a hectic night. Behave this way and then I'll believe you. But the Bible has, says it the other way around. This is a top down gospel as Mark told us last week, saying this is everything's turned on its head and saying if you believe this, it will lead to right behaving. That's the gospel. Now I want to say this phrase that, will, that has been haunting me this week, that I believe this strongly, that whatever you believe is what you will manifest. I'll say it again, whatever you believe is what you ma- will manifest. Let me explain it this way. If you're a little child and you have a little child who strongly believes there's a monster in his cupboard, no matter how many times you tell him there's no monster in the cupboard, he or she will manifest fear. What he believes is what he manifests. As a teenager, let's take a different example. If a teenager believes they have a big giant pimple on their face or something in their teeth, no matter how many times you tell them it's not that bad, they're going to manifest Self-confidence issues. Hiding, nervous. Uh, don't, don't look at this slide. I want to tell you strongly that if a church is believing, if a, people, a believer is believing that they are just um, just a Christian, I'm just going to make it through, I just want to keep my head down and do it all right, you're going to manifest a poor, poor representation of the gospel. You're not going to know the fullness that you've been purchased for. That's why this morning I want to dig into the doctrine of inheritance a little bit and help us understand that. You will see on your seat a little page like this. So if you don't have one, don't worry. It's not the end of the world. I just printed it just to help us a little bit. Just there, there's a few points I'm going to go through, and there's, I've left out a few words just to keep us on our seats. So if you want to fill in some of those as you go, it will help you. There's some extra scriptures you can go read at home because I really believe I want to equip you this morning. I'm not here to spoon feed. I'm here to just equip us and push us because times are needing for the church to be, to be all it's been called to be not just wading in the shallow ends. But let's read the Bible together. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 3 to verse 14. There's 12 verses here, and just a, a preface before we get stuck into this, to let you know, in the original writings, verses 3 to 14 was one long sentence. There was no abbreviations, commas. It is so full of richness, so full of extravagant language from a man in prison. I tell you, a man in prison writing with such worship, such full hope, and such power deserves to be listened to. Why is he so joyful? Why is he so full, even though he's in confinement? I want to listen to him today. So I want to tell you, as we read this, just you. I want you to get the sense of: Have you ever chatted to a little child? I spoke to a little guy the other day. Went to the aquarium, and he said, "Tell me what you saw." He said, "I saw, I saw a shark, and then and then and then and then and then I saw a dolphin, and then and then and then I saw a tortoise." Did I mention a shark? And then and then and then and then they stop. They just don't want to. They don't want to lose your attention because they're so excited about what they saw. That's the tone of verse 3 to verse 14. A child who is so excited by what they've seen. And I want to hope that we get that excitement today. Verse 3 says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It might be a bit different to yours, but stick with us. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ, because we are in Christ. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so, so, so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, forevermore. furthermore, because we are united with Christ. We have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he'll give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And then, and then, and then, let's pray together. Father, simple prayer this morning, I pray, God, would you open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to understand the wealth of the inheritance that we have in you. Pray, Father God, would you lead us to more lavish expressions of worship because of this, a deeper knowing of hope deep down, and a greater understanding of the power that's available to us. Father, unleash your inheritance upon your saints this morning. Amen. So I want to tell you, if you don't know this, it's a standard thing, but I want to put it out there just in case. Inheritance. It's a big word. When does somebody get an inheritance? Most often, when somebody dies. So I want to tell you very quickly before we even get to the slides, before we even get to our points, the Bible talks about inheritance in three ways for us as believers. Three ways. So you'll see it in your little phrases there, but the first way that inheritance is spoken, don't worry about the slides yet, is it's called inheritance done. I've just taken this to, to make it understandable, but it's an inheritance done. What we have already, the Bible starts in Ephesians 1 says, the Father who has blessed us, it is the past, past tense, I'm not an English major, but that signifies to me that we have already received some part of our inheritance. I'll tell you why we can understand that. Who died? Jesus did. He died physically as a man. He died spiritually as God. He It's called hypostatic union. When Jesus was died on the cross, he was 100% man and 100% God. And that opens the way for us to receive the fullness of our inheritance, that Jesus died spiritually and physically. Inheritance is given out to us. Incredible. What a blessing. Then there comes a second part which is called inheritance yet to come. Inheritance to come. And who's going to die for us to receive that? We will have to die. We are not Gnostic people. Gnostic people, the word Gnosticism means that there's only the spiritual only that all that matters. The physical is just, we hate the physical. I want to tell you the body right now, your body is very real. And I want to give you some shock, horror news, you're going to die. Promise right there for you. The Bible tells us to. It's a portion for all men to die once. That's what the Bible says. So you're going to die. I hope that's not the message you came to hear this morning. Hey, Wow. And amen. Good news. Tell your friends about our church. You're going to die. <laughs> but I want to tell you, you're going to die. And the great news with that, for a believer, for a believer, the great news about you, we are going to die, means when we die, the Bible says there's an inheritance stored up for us in heaven. Awaiting us. So we have inheritance done, inheritance to come, and third and finally is inheritance to be won. The Bible also talks about saying that there is inheritance for us here, here and now, for us to press in and win as the church. So I want to help us make sense of all this and how they all fit together. So let's put the first slide up. We're going to be looking today at some basic doctrine, but it's really profound for us to understand. Inheritance done. There are two kinds of people in this world. You may think there are a lot more than that, but at the base level, you can say there's good people, there's, there's bad people, there's good people who, some, who sometimes are bad, and there's bad people who are sometimes good, and then there's Oscar story, so we're not too sure yet. <laughs> Low blow, sorry, sure. But I want to tell you, there's not just there's not a level of goodness, there's not a level, the Bible tells us that there's two kinds of people, dead people and alive people. And we have to understand this deep and deep fundamental truth in our hearts. And this is why. It's because the Bible says you and I were all dead. Harsh reality check, but we have to understand and know that Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, Once you were dead. You were dead. You and I were dead. And not, I'll tell you, as Trevor Noah says, he says, Dead, dead, dead. Not sort of dead, not we were, I was just spiritually in darkness and Christ enlightened me. We need to know that before Christ comes and sheds his life, light into our lives, you are dead. You have no spiritual standing. You are isolated. This is strong, but we've got to know this because this elevates the glory of God. When we, when we minimize this, this theology that we were once dead, we actually, it's a humanistic thing. We, we put ourselves at the center that we've made ourselves a little bit better. No, we were dead. We had no hope in this world. Dead people can't do much. Just a fact I noticed at funerals I go to. I want to tell you, not to, you were not just dead. You were, you were stinky, rotten, to the core dead. Some people say, oh, you know, it's, you just have to peel back a few layers, and then they, everyone's got a nice center at the, the middle. I want to tell you, you peel back your onion, you peel back all the layers, you get to the center, there's rotten, dead core there. Dead. Gospel preaching coming your way. But wonderful, we can put the next slide up, it says this, you can fill in the blank, I was dead, but this is part of our inheritance, but now I have a new heart. You can go read that scripture, Ezekiel says, I will take your heart of stone, and I will put in you a heart of flesh, this is the dramatic language of Christ doing a mortal combat move, pulling our heart, and putting a new one in, our old heart that was dead, had no ability to love him, no ability to call on him, he climbs into our coffin, this is the gospel, the song I found Jesus lies. He came and he climbed into your, your coffin and he pulled you alive and he gave you a new heart. This is the fundamental that we have to get, and it's so exciting. When Jesus died on the cross, you may have heard this before, but he died on the cross, he yelled out this incredible word. He wrote in the, the, the Aramaic version is this "Tetelestai." Our Bibles says it is finished. A proper rendering of this translation means this. Paid in full. Tetelestai was, an, was not just an unusual word. It was a word they used a lot in the marketplace those days. So if somebody had a debt outstanding and someone would come and pay, in that sense, they would stamp and say, Tetelestai, debt paid. Paid in full. Very exciting. Because this is a massive thing for us. We have to understand this because we have to know that we are saying, one theologian put it this way, that there's a massive, just a picture of yourself standing here, and a massive 10 foot or 100 foot dam wall in front of you, which is teeming with the full weight of a dam behind it, a river behind it. And it's just waiting to crack. And it's about to crack and all of its powerful water is about to fall and tumble down and consume and obliterate you in a second. You stand at the base of a dam, that thing falls on you, you're gone. But just as that crack, that's the, 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 the wrath of God that was stirred up, stored up for us, against us. The down walls, as it broke, just imagine a big crater in the ground just opened up and swallows all that water whoo, right in front of us and seals it up. That's what Christ did. When Christ went and died on the cross, he got the cup of death, he got the cup of our brokenness, and he drank it and drank it. I've got this picture in my head of Christ. He says, let this cup pass before me, but he says, no, but let your will be done. He takes that cup of our sorrow, the cup of our death, and he drinks it, drinks it, drinks it, drinks it, and he almost at the end where it's, actually, there's no more drops, he holds it, there's no more drops, and he puts it upside down and says, done. There's no more wrath left. It's been consumed all in Christ. You were dead. Deserving of death. But you've been given a new heart. I want to tell you, Christ climbed into your coffin and he breathed life into you this morning. First point that we've got to understand, we're going to move quickly is that we were dead, but now I have a new heart. Secondly, is this not only were you dead, Ephesians 2 carries on and says, but you were also disobedient. You were disobedient, refusing to obey God. The next point you can put on, I was disobedient, but now I have a new nature. One of my favorite scriptures is this. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a new creation. Now, there's two Greek words that can be put in and fits in where the word new is, new creation. So we have two options. The first one is neos. And that type of new means upgrade. So you're driving in a Hyundai i10, and after a while they phone you and say, Mr. Phillips, your Hyundai i20 is ready. Upgrade. Yes. Or you've been using your BlackBerry and cursing its low, terrible battery life for years. And someone phone says, Vodacom says, Mr. Phillips, your iPhone 5 is ready. Upgrade. Amen. Yay. Very exciting. Neos. But I want to tell you, sometimes some of us view it with that word. We think it's Neos, that it's an upgrade word. That it, we, were, we had our old nature, now we just had a better nature. Now it's Gabe version 2.0. New and improved from Market. I want to tell you that is one option, but the Bible doesn't use the word neos. Thank goodness it uses this word. It's going to shock you. It uses the word kairos, and what this means is it's never been seen before. It's brand spanking new. Why the theology of knowing that we were dead is so important is understands that you know you no longer live. It's not now, Travis with bandages on him limping the way through. Thanks God, he's helped me just with my limp and now I'm going to be alright. But my heart is dying. No, he he says, when Christ died, you died. Thank the Lord. This is not a morbid theology. This is good news. I want to tell you why this is huge. It's why Paul, in the book of Ephesians and the book of Corinthians and all the books he writes, the letters he writes, he addresses the people in the church not as you dirty, rotten sinners who need a clap over the head, which a lot of them did. In Corinth, it got so bad that a man was sleeping with his mother-in-law and passing it off as spiritually acceptable. We're so spiritually enlightened that that's okay. Paul wrote to that group of people and said, Dearly loved children, holy in God's sight. Why? Because he did not address them with their old nature. Because he saw them in Christ. He wanted to show them the inheritance they had just forgotten. They did not know the inheritance that had been paid for. And I think a lot of the church don't know that we have a new nature. Please, go read Romans 6 verse 6. Go read those things. The old is gone, the new has come. I want to tell you, what, what. does but then you would say, what about sin? I'll tell you this quote that I found. You're not free to sin. You are free from sin. Believe it, and you don't have to sin another day. Tim Keller says this. Why are people still sinning, Christians still sinning? Because they don't believe the gospel. They don't believe that Christ paid fully for their sin. It's a gospel issue, right? Believing leads to right behavior. If you still call yourself a sinner, I'm just a sinner. I'll say, well, then you haven't heard the gospel. You were a sinner, dead, disobedience, but now you have a new nature. You could not please God. If you think you still have your old nature, your old nature cannot please God. You've been given the nature of Christ. So please do not tarnish that nature by calling it, dumbing it down and calling it just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. You are a son holy and a daughter holy and beloved of God. You have a new nature. Something a man once said is: "If you think you'll only stop sinning when you die, then death is your savior." In my Bible, it says Jesus Christ is my savior. So I want to just challenge us. I think so often we've lowered the bar so low, and this is not. This is radical grace. This is not work harder language. This is not saying please stop sinning. This is saying it's been paid for. You have a new nature. You don't have to sin anymore because you have a new nature. It's time to get rid of it. We have no more of the excuse of my old nature. I'll tell you why. In John chapter 2, Jesus came and he turned water into wine and the, the, the commentators say in the church since then have been longing to turn the wine back to water. Something that I can understand and control. Jesus has said that he revealed his glory by turning water into wine. Why? Because water it was used as ceremonial washing jars to clean the outside and make us version 2.0 but Jesus came and turned what cleans the outside into wine, which goes on the inside and affects the outside. That's, and at the end of that chapter, it says, and by this, his glory was revealed. What glory? Is a cheap party chick turning one to wine? No. I tell you, he turned something that was useful just for our cleansing, and he showed us that this is a new covenant, a thing that is, that is out of your control. Wine. That is lavish. That is rich. It's not just water and cleaning and just going for another week. It satisfies. Because we have a new nature. I tell you, this destroys, it's just who I am attitude. It's just who I've always been. When we understand we've got a new nature, we do not need to live in that existence any longer. Your inheritance has been paid for in this regard. The Bible also says you have been given the mind of Christ. Given. That is a portion of your inheritance right now. If you are not understanding that, please go read that. Find that scripture that you have been given, allotted to, to you, the mind of of Christ, you struggling with thoughts? If you struggling with suicidal tendency, you struggling with negativity, you struggling with crit- critical attitudes. Can I tell you? Bring that under under the line that I have a new nature. I have a new nature. I'm no longer disobedient. I have a new nature. Yeah. Profound. Thirdly, what we have been given. We were not only dead, disobedient, but we are also doomed, objects of God's wrath, bound for an eternity separate from God. Preachers, hellfire, and stone, Hellfire, hellstone, whatever, brimstone, and hellfire, hellfire, hellstone, cool band name. If anyone started a band, hellstone. Those preachers who will threaten us with hell, I won't tell you, I believe, yes, hell is a real place, but I strongly believe that the greatest proponent of what hell is going to be is absence from God, an absence from the fullness of knowing who I am. People who are cast in, in forever in a shadow, not knowing the reality, not knowing the fullness they've been given, not knowing the wealth, the extravagant wealth that's been poured out on them. We were doomed. We are objects of God's wrath. It's chapter 2 of Ephesians. Go read it. But I want to tell you today, but God, but God has given us a new access. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 starts, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible language because the Hebrew writers would never link God and Father together. Why? They were so angry even when Jesus came and he spoke about my dad, my father, Abba Father. They were so angry that they wanted to study him because they said, that's blasphemy. How can you call God your father? But Jesus came to model the thing and say that you have a new access, not only just to God, but God has made himself to inherit, your, a portion of your inheritance is that you get God as a father, you get God himself that is your inheritance not a preacher telling you about him not someone else you get to go straight to God now there is no other mediator except Jesus Christ your pastor is not your mediator your televangelist is not your mediator you are not the mediator your good works are not the mediator Christ and Christ alone is your mediator and it's your inheritance i want to tell you this is a re- the relationship Jesus had with his father you get. The closeness Jesus had with his Father, has with his Father, you get. Julian Adams says that we occupy the same space in the Trinity as Jesus does. Why? Because Ephesians has this incredible word, that says, Praise to be to the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual realms with every blessing in Christ, in Christ Jesus. When we are found in Christ Jesus, we have absolute access to the Father. I will tell you, it's not performance based. An illustration, one of my favorite in the world, is that the religion, religious mindset inside of us, we, when you don't understand this, we see God up there, we put a ladder up the wall, and we start climbing up the wall and saying, Yes, we believe we can get to God, but needs a lot of sweat, a lot of effort. And when you're going up this ladder, it's like a snakes and ladder type understanding. When I mess up, it's back to the beginning. Oh, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to the beginning. And he goes, starts again, start the ladder journey. I tell you, when Christ enters your thing, Christ came into our story. He ripped down the ladder of self work. He ripped down the ladder of self attempts to get to God. And he, he assembled himself as an escalator, stairs that permanently are moving towards our Father. And he places us on this escalator and says, your goal, your your inheritance is God Himself. Yeah. It's not performance based. There's nothing you can you can't switch your way in it into it. You can't switch your way out of it. You're standing on this escalator and you're going up and you're getting closer to God and you're getting more and more like Him and then you mess up, you sin and you make a mistake and you go, ah, oh, and you go, flip, how did this happen? And then you stand up and you realize you're still getting even closer to God. Sin no longer is a hindrance from the presence of God. Why? Because Christ died once and for all on the, on the cross for you and I. Christ died for our sins once and for all. inheritance done, paid for. And this is an incredible thing, he never pushes us away. Let's move rapidly on so we can finish this morning. Point number two is inheritance to come. Two scriptures for you can write down somewhere. Two Corinthians one verse twenty two says this And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first instalment that guarantees everything he has promised. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5, now it is God who has made us for his very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I want to tell you, once we were fearful, we were people who were fearful, afraid of death, we were people clinging to our lives, we were fearful of what tomorrow might hold, but I tell you, because God is so lavish and rich in mercy, he only hasn't paid his full inheritance now, he's saying, I've also got a full inheritance waiting for you in heaven when you die. This is extravagant language to be used. But I'll tell you why this is so important for us. Is that but God has given us a new hope. Heaven, the next point, is he's given us a new hope. I was fearful, but now I have a new hope. Heaven is not your goal as a Christian. It's your guarantee. Heaven is not your goal. I'm not pressing on my prize that Paul talks about, pressing on for the prize. is not heaven. Heaven is your guarantee. Because he said he has sealed us. Ephesians, go to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 13 and 14. says he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit, guaranteeing us the inheritance to come. You don't even tell you your salvation, you didn't earn it, you don't have to keep it. Yay. He keeps it for us in heaven. And I want to tell you why the Bible talks about this hugely. Because the Bible talks about this new hope as a living hope found in 1 Peter, a living hope. So this is not some futile thumb-sucking, mm, I really hope next year will be better. Or some, some a, a better, people who bet on a result that hasn't yet happened. I hope my team wins. I'm going to place my bet No, it's no longer that. It's a living hope. A living hope. How is this? It says this. It's 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says, We have been brought into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade, kept in heaven for you. How, how, what confidence this puts in our hearts. This is our inheritance for us. It's not based on my performance, but it's based on my position on my man in glory. Jesus Christ, my position, my inheritance is based on the, the fact that Jesus stands in heaven right now in victory. He is victorious and he'll one day come again in victory. My position is in victory. There's a scripture in 1 John says, uh, 3 John, As he is in this world, so am I. As he is, so am I. Everything that Christ won for us has is given to us. This is good stuff, good news. I want to tell you that knowing this, it, knowing that it is secure in heaven, it allows me to act as a secure son and daughter now. When you know that there is a reward for you being held secure, it does not mean that now I can live however I want. I tell you, it it produces righteousness in us because we know there's a guarantee up ahead. We don't have to live in insecurity and hope, I hope I'll make it. I hope I have to toe the line. We can live in confidence knowing I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And that believing leads to right behaving. What we believe, we end up manifesting. Everyone all right? Good. Filling in the blanks. Good. I want to tell you right now, it's so secure that the Father... Took out his pen with his own blood as the ink and wrote your name and my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to tell you, my Father in heaven, does, does not own typex. He does not make a mistake. He has no shadow of turning about him. If he has, if you are saved today, if you have placed your trust in Christ Jesus, you can know that heaven is your guarantee. There's not a amount of sins that you can do. There's not a list he's going. Whoa, he's on four hundred thirty-three. Just don't get to 450 and is out the door. Because there's no value of our, our sins. I do not tell you, you, please don't try and come and weigh up your sins next to the weight of my Savior. That is blasphemy in the highest order. You can say that I'm preaching blasphemy saying this is licentious. No, I'm not. I'm preaching what Paul preached. This is the gospel saying this is not a scales understanding. Will we one day? Will he? Won't he? Will he? Won't he make it in? He loves me. He loves me. Not type existence. This is it. He loves me. Paul says Ephesians, he loves you. He secured you. Heaven is your home. i waiting for you. Put security in my heart. It changes the way I live. I want to say the second point on this is that once we were isolated and excluded, but now I have a new home. He gives us a new hope. Heaven is also a new home. It gives me confidence to endure. Karl Marx, the socialist man, the socialist man who spoke big time and about communism and all that things, he said religion and the promise of heaven was the opiate of the masses. He mocks it a bit, saying the poor people, poor people run to this thing, they run to this promise of heaven because it just dumbs them down their, their painful existence now. I want to disagree with Karl Marx and say, I don't believe that heaven being our home and a deep understanding of that coming to our hearts is not an opiate that dumbs us down. I believe it's something that heightens my lifestyle. It is a, it is a, a drug that fuels me. Understand that this is the thing that pushes me forward. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. I've just moved into a new home with a new wife, my first wife. See, I use the word, if you understood, if I speaking in Greek, I would use the word kairos there, new brand spanking new, not neos. Sheesh, please, people, stick go up, stick, up, stick with me. But what happens is, I am so excited to go home at the end of every day. There's such a passion in me that no matter what happens at 3 o'clock, even at 3 o'clock someone's phone says, there's this, there's, I'm stuck in traffic and there's all hell breaking loose around me, or I'm in a meeting that I wish I could just get over, I know 5 o'clock means home time. And I'm excited. I can endure the 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. I can endure the traffic because I am so excited for home. I'm so passionate for home. And that's the understanding. We have a new home. The Hebrews, the men, the heroes of the faith were people who were filled with such faith. They said they were, not, they were looking forward to a city that was not their own. We can endure this life. We have faith and it gives us confidence sons, the sons our because we know our inheritance is held for us in heaven. Glorious, glorious stuff, that. It gives us new perspective. There's even a word that the that early disciples used. They used this word, the parousia. It means the return of Christ. They were so excited, even in the all of them, nearly 10 out of the 11 disciples who were Jesus, got martyred for their faith. And all of them lived with this understanding of parousia, the return of Christ. So it almost, in Thessalonians talks about it, lift your eyes, keep your eyes on the sky, because he might return tomorrow. And they lived with this excitement. This was 2,000 or so years ago. But they were looking up. We're going home today? Ah, it's okay. Not yet, but we can push on. Tomorrow? We're going home today? Not yet, but I'll push on. Getting martyred around them. It gives us a confidence. The church starts to understand. They're not this weak, namby-pamby thing that pushed over and then throwing, oh no, we can't really do much. No, we understand. We've had inheritance done and inheritance to come sealed. Third and final point is inheritance to be won. Who dies to get this inheritance? We do daily. I tell you, once we were helpless and weak. But God, but God who is rich and lavish in mercy, gave us a new power. Click to the next slide for us, Dave. A new power. I want to tell you, when we become convinced of our inheritance done, what is sealed, when we become convinced of our inheritance to come, our past and futures are t- taken care of, we become radical. The church become radical in laying down their lives for this gospel. They become radical in laying down their lives down daily because we have nothing to lose. Do you understand? The, see the genius of God? He secures your past. He says, there is nothing you can do to separate you from my, my love now. He says, there's nothing you can do to get you out of the future home that I have for you. We have nothing to lose. It deals with fear of death. It deals with fear of, of comfort. Will I, will I be comfortable? It deals with all these things. It makes us radical because we're no longer looking self-introspection. Am I good enough for God? Am I good enough for Him to really cover my sins and give me a new nature? Am I really good enough to make it to heaven? He deals with that and says, done, so that we can finish what He's called us to do here now, which is shape the world, change the world, This is where the church are unleashed. A new power. Ephesians 3 verse 16 says this. I pray, Paul writing, I pray from a prison cell. Paul writing from a dark, dank prison cell says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He will empower you Paul, so excited, saying, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known, Ephesians 3.10. Just hear this language of power coming through the cell doors because there's a man who's confined physically, but his soul is so filled with worship to God. His soul is so filled with a new and living hope. His soul is so filled with a power. You can kill me, the gospel keeps going. You could not touch this man because he understood this deep in his heart. The Romans 8, the Bible says this, and this is profound, we all probably know it. Romans 8 says, and we are more than conquerors in Christ. He has a thought. If he just said, we are conquerors in Christ, would that not be good enough? He says, you are more than conquerors. The thought there is taken from a promised land understanding, a Caleb and Joshua type of understanding that we are more than conquerors. We conquer and We possess. It's not just now we're living in the victory of the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live from the victory of the cross. And Christ, because of the victory of the cross, has laid out a red carpet for his church to demonstrate the more of God. Because we have a new access to him, we have a new power to unleash upon this earth. It is so profound. paul I want to tell you, Paul could not be constricted in prison. But I pray that this morning, I think some of us are sitting here and we're feeling our physical circumstances are constricted. You might be in a job that you hate with a boss that you do not want to see on a Monday morning. You feel your job is a prison sentence for you. I don't know where to turn. I can't get out of it. Maybe your marriage is not flourishing and feels a confined space. And you say, I just can't get out of this space. We're just boxing all the time. I feel imprisoned. Maybe your finances, your emotions, your health are feeling held back. I want to tell you, when we understand, when we right now understand that we have an inheritance done, when we understand this doctrine that there's an inheritance to come and there's an inheritance to be won now, I tell you that even from your prison cell, even from your prison centers, even from your confinement, God, God can start be birthing lavish worship. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can start breeding inside of us a, a rich and wealthy hope of a promise of what is yet to come and can start stirring up a power to walk in the power that's poured out for us as the church when we understand this thought. I want to land this morning and tell us, please go read some scriptures at home. This is not a neatly packaged sermon just for your amusement. This is something I'm saying, please go work with us. Wrestle with us. Go find the scriptures. Go read on this. Get a deep understanding. Fight with us. Fight with me on these things if you want to. I'm all right with that. You'll find me on my blog. Not in person. I want to tell you right now, though, there are enough resources in heaven to cover all past deaths. You might be here waving a flag saying, ah, but you don't know what I've done, Gabe. This man Paul, who wrote this book of Ephesians with such conviction, was a man who used to murder Christians. And as I always say, if you haven't murdered a Christian, you're not too far gone yet. And even if you have, then you're in Paul's company, so you're right. I'm telling you, the gospel's just that good. I get out of my be- I get out of my bed feeling sick because of this thought. The gospel's just that good. I want to tell someone about it. It's just that good. There's enough resource in heaven to cover all past debts. There's enough resource in heaven to cover all present liabilities. There's enough resources in heaven to cover all future needs. The gospel, inheritance done, inheritance to come, frames, the inheritance to be won. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray God will settle on fertile hearts. I pray people would press into you, God, press into your word. Would you convict us of our righteousness right now? I pray right now, thank you, God, where guilt and shame has been surfacing, even in marriages where couples have been at odds with each other because of guilt and shame, because of things they've done. All right now, God, say, would you burst open that prison cell because guilt and shame are not from you. They are nailed to the cross, and that's part of our inheritance. So right now, Father God, I say, would you minister to hearts? You minister your heart. You're seeing your church on fire. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.